This podcast is brought to you by the website of doom.com. Hello and welcome, dear listener, to Aaron Fever Talks 2. This month I'm talking to Stephen Mooney, who is a artist and writer uh, known for such comic books as his creator-owned series Half Past Danger, uh, his work on DC, such as uh, Midnighter and Grayson, and also as uh, the long, long reign on the, the Angel uh, comic book series. Um, so he uh, was great to talk to. I'm literally just off the call with him, um, so I'm still kind of buzzing. Because uh, we had a great chat, uh, we talked about just as you know, even just some of his process using references and the different type of uh, comics that um, you know he's made, but what he's into as well. And, and uh, yeah, it was it was a fun chat. Uh, so I'm very grateful that he was able to do to do this one with me. Uh, this podcast exists purely only because the lovely, lovely people on my Patreon uh, donated. And gave enough so that I could afford to do it. Um, and they are wonderful people. And we'll get this first. They get this a week earlier. And if you're listening, hello. Thank you again. Um, if you're interested in being one of those people who, you know, gives a dollar a month. And, you know, gets these things earlier than anybody else. But also helps contribute to me making other things like my Word a Week uh, video series and the like. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Aaron Fever. This is the only advert you will hear on this podcast because I am not sponsored by anybody. I'm merely sponsored by you, dear listener, and I'm very, very grateful for it. So next month, um, I'm going to have the internet mogul that is Ken Plume, uh, another podcaster, but he's uh, someone I'm going to be talking to because me and him do a lot of stuff at the big convention Dragon Con in Atlanta. And I'm very much looking forward to being there again this year and doing our Gonzo quiz show, uh, some improv shows with the likes of uh, Hal Lublin, Scott Adsit, uh, Joseph Scrimshaw and more. I'm very into it. I'm very excited. Uh, you notice some of those names have previously been on this show. Uh, there's a reason for that. Ken put us all in touch with each other. And so I'm looking forward to chatting to Ken next month as we talk about Dragon Con and also just some history. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's everything. I don't like to talk too long. This is probably one of the longer intros I've given for this podcast ever. So uh, just one last note. Um, myself and Stephen mention uh, Declan Shalvey and Jordi Belair a lot as Deck and Jordi because uh, we're all mutual friends of each other. Um, if you haven't heard my podcast with them, go back into the archives. They're not too long ago. Um, they're, they're great listens too. Uh, but you just may be wondering every now and again why he keeps referring to this man called Deck. It's not his lover, although some have often assumed um, it's just a good friend of his and mine. So uh, without further ado, thank you for downloading and enjoy the podcast. Hello. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I'm uh, better now. I have coffee. <laughs> what time did you get up? At first, first eight cups of coffee. I get up around nine-ish, although... Nine, half nine today it was a bit late you call that late let's call it very disciplined for an artist oh yeah well you're used to deck and jordy they don't they don't, <laughs> they don't work on human operating procedures no uh no but i i hear it's quite common i think i it's not i wouldn't say it's just them i mean most like you know writers or artists i know of the working in comics they tend to skew towards the night owl region definitely yeah i'm just too bland for that I'm too rigid uh, and boring. as you'll come to see over the course of this interview <laughs> well, what are you working on today today I, I am working on a thing I am, haven't told anyone about it's uh, my, new, my next uh, big project uh, I'm drawing issue 2 of said book we're not online now are we we're not like well I mean yeah we might as well pl- play like we are just in case okay <laughs> I see. What a thinly veiled clue. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a creator-owned comic uh, that I I wish I could talk more about because I kind of really want to announce it, but we we can't announce it for another month or two. So, uh, so, so yeah. What is the protocol with that? Because I know everyone kind of works well in advance, and and even even with the little experience that I have, it's incredibly frustrating up yet not being able to tell people yeah. stuff. Okay, well, just to give some context, this is the I've been on this since. The, middle of december so i got six months right six and a half months 
um and now on and off not full time like i'm i'm full time on it for the last maybe three or four months because uh, i was doing a different job in between that also hasn't come out yet that i'm also not allowed to talk about so it is kind of great <laughs> i worry and i know death was the same between uh moon Knight and injection was maybe eight or nine months i think of him theoretically off the shelves so yeah you're definitely going to get a bit squarely about the whole like does anyone going to remember who i am or where i am or does anyone care that i'm gone like <laughs> well like the next the last thing that you kind of you know uh did the artwork for regularly was Grayson right uh yeah well Midnighter and Grayson I was hopping from one to the other because I was like the other guy on both of those books I wasn't the the main headline guy in both those books I was the the go-to I did an arc I did some Grayson then I went to Midnighter and then I ended up back on Grayson I think that was the last one I did and then there were some bombshells in between there too so I was kind of jumping around the place at DC for a couple of years but the last thing that came out with my interiors was in, was one of the last issues of Grayson. Uh, I think it was issue thirteen or fourteen. So that would have been about December. Okay. Uh, so yeah. So there's been six months now. I've had like a few covers out since then, but it's been six months since anyone has seen it, anything interior that I've drawn. Like, and it will be more months before they see something new. So it's a little. I'm a little antsy about it. I guess. And like, because you've been working approximately ten years or so now in comics, would that be about right? Uh, yeah, more. Um, I think this is my thirteenth year. I'm about two and a half years more than Dex. So what's he like? Ten years? Yeah, I think he said he's yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be myself and Thompson were around a couple of years before that. Stephen Thompson, um, another Dublin-based artist. So yeah, I mean, the guts of ten years. It doesn't. It feels like about ten years proper comics, inverted commas. Yeah, like I suppose because the, uh, the indie side of things, sometimes people don't necessarily include that until they get like a big publisher and they're like, okay. now, I'm, now I'm in. <laughs> I was like, don't look at this, don't look at this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, so I was kind of, I was browsing your, uh, your, uh, your history, so to speak, your, uh, the, the IMDB version for comic books. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was surprised to see that it was only really one main thing that you've written was half past danger yeah yeah that's correct the, that would be is that my only writing credit published the, they have th- the thought bubble anthology but like oh yeah yeah but that's just part of half past danger really so that's that's but that was just yeah i think you're right yeah now i have a few things lined up that haven't come out yet that are writing but um yeah, Half Past Danger would be my my only real writing credit and it's all down to what a chicken shit I am because after I did Half Past Danger, I got a, like t- a three or four offers from like, uh, now it wasn't Marvel or DC, it was like mid-tier company, you know, like the, le- the next rung down, you can imagine who I'm talking about after Marvel DC, Yeah, uh, who were like, oh man, you do a gr- you write a great pulp book, would you have any interest in uh, writing a story with character A, B and C, which were all really cool, like pulpy characters. And um, I, I was too, I was, I was, I didn't feel like I should take it on at that point because the only stories that I really, really want to write at the minute are pe- are characters that I um, have a really good, or I feel I have a really good handle on them, and I could feel like I've got a great story of this character in me. Well, let me put my phone on sound. So, um, if I like, if someone offers me a character or someone I'm in love with, which happened recently, and Deck and George are doing stuff on, you probably know what it is. Like, uh, it's like a, a licensed book that we're all mad about. Yeah. Okay, this I can do. Like, I've definitely got some. I'm actually writing three stories for this particular thing, so I've got that in me. Like, and I'm good to go. Whereas some of the characters I was off before, I didn't feel like I had that like concrete handle on them, and I was like, no, somebody could do a better job than on me, than me on this. So it wasn't the right time to do it. But I suppose, I mean, does that ever happen when, on the art side as well? Is that like you get offered a project yeah. and you're like, I don't know if I could draw this guy? Oh, God, yeah. But the thing is, I'm, I'm too scared not to take the job in the writing because that's my bread. Or sorry, in the art because that's my bread and butter. So I've taken on about two or three jobs more where I wasn't that confident that I had the best hand on the character. But you see, because it's so intensive with the drawing... Even after like a week of doing, say, four or five pages of pencil thinking, you have the handle because it's just, you just, you're forced to like, it's, it's just jumping at the deep end. You'll know you'll be able to do a decent job at that point. Um, do, you, do you feel comfortable mentioning which one of those pe- uh, comics you were like that with? I guess the one that springs to mind is, is Teen Wolf I did for Image Top Cow way back before Half Past Danger. Um, like I had done a lot of licensed stuff and I was known like I can do a good likeness. I know I can draw a good likeness like 
Um, it's something that I can do and I got kind of known for. I was doing that for like for four or five years on Angel and all those books. Um, but this, <laughs> when they offered me Teen Wolf, I thought it was the, the, this is ridiculous, but I thought it was the Michael J. Fox Teen Wolf, this basket, this cheesy basketball film from the 80s, which I loved. Um, right. And then, the, of course, there was this whole uh, reimagining of Teen Wolf where it was, um, you know, the, the angsty Dawson's Creek style Teen Wolf. Which apparently Ballycount is actually a really good, uh, you know, example of that kind of show, but wouldn't be what I would be terribly into myself. So in that instance, I was a bit taken aback and, and I was like, okay, I have to take stock here. Uh, but I would say, I mean, I still, I can honestly hand on heart say I've never done a job where I didn't put 100% into it. Like I'm too, I'm too rigid that way. I don't think I could do that. But I mean, I'm I'm sure there are times though, like even when you put your hundred percent, you look at the end product and you're kind of like, I'm not sure I'm like the happiest with this. Oh yeah, we all have some of that. But I know I wouldn't be happy saying that because I have terrible Irish Catholic guilt and I wouldn't be able to live with myself. <laughs> I was happy, you know, with Teen Wolf. I will say I was quite happy with the end because I thought I did a pretty good job on something that I didn't think would be my. Um, strong suit you know so there's you take you take different things from different projects like if you do a a very good or reasonably good job on something where you thought you might have been the weak link then there's that satisfaction that goes with that and that sense of accomplishment even if it isn't something that you're in love with as a as a concept or a project yeah and it's it's i suppose there's there's that thing of and i've I've spoken i think to deck about this before is that uh there's some artists who find a groove and they stick in it and uh we won't mention names but i think everyone has one that would come to mind straight away where like they've kind of been doing the same shtick for you know decades now and uh do you think that's a way that you challenge yourself is to to do these sort of projects where you're kind of like i don't know how great this is going to be but let's give it a go no, I think I hear what you're saying, definitely. And I would like, I wish that was the case with me. But um, like a lot of artists I know, and especially a few years ago when I really needed the work that much more, I just took whatever I was offered because that's what you do. Uh, it was good paying work and it was regular and I really liked the the um, the editors and the other creators. So you just, you just do it. But uh, I definitely, as soon as I, like... Like you've probably heard anyone you've interviewed has probably told you they were always terrified to say no. You're a large, you're creative, you know the thing. If somebody offers you something and there's money involved, and whether you're not sure or not, whether you're sure or not, it's going to be something you can do a good job. You still say like I should do this because it'll push me and I'll make some actual money from this and I'll move on from there. And the next time someone will offer me something I really like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So you do a number of jobs that are you know they say paying the Jews, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I I I did that for a few years, and those were the what you're talking about are jobs i was i didn't feel like i was ever in the position where i could say no at that point which is kind of a terrible thing to say but i think we can all understand i think it's pretty common i think uh, especially when starting out too is that like you don't know like you said even referring to this year about how you haven't been seen in a little while (laughs) and you start to panic of well are are people still going to offer me jobs if i don't have a job out there Mm, yeah that's true um i'm doing i yeah that i did have that fear more so on Half Past Danger. That Team Wolf book I did was to, I needed to leave, not leave. I, I always say take a year out of comics to Half Past Danger. But obviously I was working every day. So I didn't actually take any time at all. I just, uh, when I first went off on my own and decided I was doing my own thing with Half Past Danger, I had a year. I had budgeted myself a year and I had the, I, I got whatever it was. Um, I don't know, $12,000 or whatever for this mini series, this Team Wolf mini series. So I just said that is my, that's my nest egg now to do this year of work on Half Past Danger. So there was definitely a means to an end with that. But it was also the point where I decided that was it for licensed book for me, if at all possible, for the foreseeable future. And I've turned down a ton of them since. Yeah, because I was as when I was browsing your history. I mean, I would say I don't know how you feel, but it feels like more the majority would be licensed work. Oh yeah, definitely. The first five or six years, definitely, was all licensed stuff. Because, like I say, I got I um. I got known as a guy who could do it, that kind of stuff on a reasonable timescale. And a lot of artists don't like that work, understandably, because when somebody has to look like an actor or whatever, it's a lot more work and it really stifles the storytelling in some places. Like, I'm not that good of a cartoonist where I can do a halfway job where they're, where they're definitely that person, but they're also lively and cartooned and um, kind of a halfway house between realism and cartooning something i'm much more of a like i use a lot of reference and i depend on um what real life looks like i think it's a reflection of my personality i like things to look like things look even though that is to the detriment sometimes of what you're drawing 
Um, so I was, people saw that I could do that and do it uh, in decent time. So it happened a lot. But uh, I did make a conscious decision to say, okay, that's, that's six years of this. I've, I've got myself known. People are now offering me jobs and I'm starting to turn them down. I think it's a huge turning point in any creative career where you finally got to the point where you're like, well, I don't have to do that. So I want to say no. Yeah. Do you think that's the point when you were kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm established now? Yeah, I don't know. I, st- I don't know if I feel established. It's not crazy. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I feel like if you've been working on, you've been working at DC for, you know, three or four years, I guess now. More like two. Yeah. Okay. It feels like longer though. Yeah. And, you know, you have like, I, I recently, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, Big Bang uh, Comics in, in Dundrum, a comic book shop here in Dublin, um, mm-hmm. they were listing their most, uh, their highest selling comics ever and Half Past Danger was in the top three was it? yeah <laughs> no I didn't see that <laughs> how recently were we talking? this was because they were talking about um, one of the Batman Rebirth titles and like yeah. how it sold ridiculous amounts and they uh, they listed like it, how it, it, it was now in their top three highest selling and then one of them was uh, Half Past Danger which I was very surprised by I mean no uh, hey you know, Jesus you should be surprised <laughs> Well, I tell you, I can explain that because, well, okay, now I didn't expect it to be in their top three, but I do know that they've definitely pushed it far harder than anywhere else. I know that they've got the highest single orders of each issue and the trade in the world on that comic. Uh, So now it's always going to be an Irish store that's going to be my best, you know, uh, the best proponent for my work. But they definitely went above and beyond. And I know they keep reordering it and people keep going there to get it because they know they get signed copies there and things. So that's just one way the big bang of actually... You know, loath as I am to give them yet more praise, they've done a great job <laughs> on selling my work and all the Irish people's work. But that's great. I didn't know that. I'll have to look that up now. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll see if I can fish it out for you as well and, and send you on the link. But uh, so, you know more about me than I do, aren't you? <laughs> it's it's merely my job. I have yeah. to do a little bit of research. Good um, but I was gonna say because uh, you were talking before about how you were kind of known for being like after half past danger for doing like a bit of uh good pulp work so to speak and i know that's very much linked to your love of uh indiana jones and stuff like that yeah uh but uh another thing that i know you're super into is star trek i know you're a huge huge star trek <laughs> what's that where are you going with this <laughs> i'm just what i was asking was is that like have you had the urge to write a sci-fi story that's your own because i know license i don't know i know like doing a licensed star trek thing would be a cool thing but to do, do your own story because half past nature is very much your own story it is separate it's not a indiana jones comic um would you ever consider of inventing your own sci-fi comic okay honest answer i'd love to write my own sci-fi comic but i don't think i would draw it because i i think I think, this is terrible, but I think creating a sci-fi world is a lot harder and more work-intensive than creating a world we already know or that used to exist in the past. Um, There's a lot more concept work involved. Everything has to look new and original as opposed to old and pre-established. So I'd love to work on one, but I don't know if I would draw it. I'd love to get Thompson to draw it. You know, I don't know if you know Thompson's stuff, but he's excellent. Like he's doing this sat- satellite falling, this book at IDW right now. His yeah. sci-fi is his thing. It was always his thing when we were younger. My thing was pulp and his thing was sci-fi uh, from way back. And I know he has a great creator on book that he started work on of his own that's pure sci-fi. So I think I might, I might have a bit of like, um, I think I might feel like other people could do a better job on that than I do. I mean, Star Trek-wise, I've got tons of stuff I could do with Star Trek. But I think that comes down to more character uh, than the world is based in. But plus, too, you're familiar with the aesthetic of Star Trek, too. Yeah. So does, you don't have to invent as much with it. That's true. Yeah, I know it's a ter- It's a real, uh, in some ways, it's a terrible answer. But it's just uh, time intensive. I mean, if I had a year or something to do a miniseries, then sure, I'd love to. Yeah, it would be very much like you could put a real stamp on something sci-fi because it would look like absolute. If you were doing a good job, it would look like absolutely nothing else out there. Yeah, because I know, I know, like you're a big Star Trek fan. Is there any other like sci-fi uh, staples that you've like always had a thing for? Yeah, I'm. Well, obviously, the other one is Star Wars. I'm a fan of Star Wars, but not to the same extent. I always felt more like I associated more with Trek for whatever reason. Yeah. Um. 
even though you would, ar- you would argue that Star Wars is far pulpier than Trek. I mean, it's got a lot of those tropes, like um, the swashbuckling aspects. You wouldn't call Star Trek swashbuckling, whatever you'd call it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I always felt like Star Wars was an adventure story. Yeah, yeah it is, definitely. So I don't know why I don't prefer that. It's a strange one. Um, I think I just I associate Star Trek with my dad because we used to watch it way back on whenever it was Sunday afternoons on Channel 4 or whatever it was. So I kind of... It's always what you associate something with the smell or the sound or whatever that really forms that opinion at a young age for me anyway. So, and Dex the same with the, TN, with the next generation. I mean, he's got huge associations with family and things to do with that show. So I think that maybe is why. Um, but the other big one is Battlestar for me. Battlestar Galactica, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the reimagining of that. What, what did you think of the older version of it, the original? He was mad about it when it was on. Um, but and I've rewatched it since in my 30s and uh i don't it holds up ish i love the aesthetic of it but then you realize how, sim- how simplistic some of the storytelling is and um, now it was made for a mainstream tv audience of course so it's never going to be as edgy or as uh, dramatic as the ron moore imagine but i guess it suffers by comparison for me i kind of i always wonder how much um because i I never watched the original Star Trek series the first, like, you know, obviously not the first time around because like before I was born. Say that again? Like a lot of people are, are your age, I'd say, or, you know, started with Next Generation or DS9, I think. Yeah, yeah, Next Gen was definitely where I, I, I came in and, and stuck kind of with the, the genre, but I never went back to watch the original series because trying even just, like, half an episode, I found it was a tough slog. Yeah. Jackson, my wife is the exact same. Like, I'd love for her to go back and watch the, because she's a big fan of the newer stuff, but uh, she can't get past the hokey elements and the storytelling style of the original series. Um, but I mean, I think that's fair. It's a very much of its time, you know, it's, it's very 60s and uh, almost twee in a lot of places. Yeah. And I think also just sometimes Kirk's acting. <laughs> Well, that's the best part. <laughs> yeah, I, I see. That's the thing. If you're not on board with that, you're sunk to begin with. Like, you have to accept that or not. Yeah, and I suppose in, in a way, it, it, it is very uh, camp sort of stuff. And I suppose it, it actually probably leans... His acting probably would fit really well in something like a, a pulpy kind of uh, Indiana Jones style thing. Yeah. Um, so you're... So, like you said, you're you're working on a new thing now. You can't talk about it. I can tell you bits about. It. I, it's I can tell you that it's uh, it's a Cold War spy thriller type of a book. I don't think I've said that before. If I had to, with sci-fi elements, um, if I had to, in my mind, it's like you know Metal Gear Solid, the video game series. Yeah, it's that kind of cross with Bond crossed with like uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That kind of, which is a weird mix. I know. But it's, uh, it's very Cold War, which is which is something I wanted to do for a long time. So well, it's, yeah, it's something I can definitely see uh, in your aesthetic because I mean, you were even doing some James Bond covers recently, right? Yeah, yeah, Bond is another big one. If I could, I've, I've got this list. Uh, like everyone's got a list. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a list with three or four things on it, and Bond is one of the. Okay, I, well, like, let's let's go through the list. So Bond is one. Now, what would you would you rather write or do art on Bond or both? both if, and given my druthers, I would. I think I've got a great James Bond story in me, so that would be one. I, and I think you know it's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's pie in the sky now. I think after I do an, this next creator on book, and then Half Past Danger Two will be after that. I think I'll be in a decent place to pitch myself as a writer artist to some other companies and say, listen, uh, if you give me this property, I think I can deliver a good solid story to you so let's see i mean i've already written notes and things on it like i'm i'm keen on that one let's say okay and and just out of interest is that something where it's a bond of your own art design or would you actually pick an older bond that you would reference no it would be it would be a comic book bond it would be the I mean, you can the Dynamite now. I've got a book of Arn Ellis that was writing, and they've done a really nice job um, with the aesthetics, the artists on that did a great job. Um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but uh, I, I mean, I would just, I would be happy to follow that kind of uh, a leaning. Uh, it, it wouldn't be about what he looked like. Uh, I just base, I'd read the novels again, the Fleming books, and just base that on what's described there. Okay. Um, and so, what's that, what else is on the list? I well, I'm going to pitch a western 
at some point that I've started uh, writing, drawing that again as a creator on book. I really, really want to do the Western. Um, yes. Half Past Danger 2 is the top of the list after this one. I'm dying to get back to that. Um, Could, uh, do you have the story written for that? It's totally written, yeah. It's okay. Good. And all the covers are done and all the promos are done. Everything is done but the interiors, which is <laughs> kind of the hard part. And so could you tease a little bit about that? I mean, is, does that, is that take, pick up where it left off or does it yeah, go? Picks up, it picks up like uh, three or four months straight after really. Same, uh, the first one was set in the summer of 46. This will be like the autumn to winter of 46. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, lit, it's like, you know, there's nothing you, there's not more, anything that happened in the interim will be described in the book. So there'll be, it'll be continuous basically. And the third one again is fairly similar. I've got the bones of the third one written too, so. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, um, Half As Ager uh, was the first book of yours that I bought. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, and it literally, it was just the mere concept was like, oh, I'm, I'm buying this. Um, mm. Because it's basically Nazis, dinosaurs, and spies, essentially. And it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a load of random crap that you probably shouldn't try and put in one comic that I just kind of threw at the wall and hope for the best. <laughs> uh, I always say that I always make it sound really flippant I actually did spend ages trying to develop it and write it so because um, it was a hard one to, to crack to fit everything I mean it's obviously uh, very tongue in cheek at times the premise of it like and, and I'm not the first one to ever do Nazis and dinosaurs in one comic I mean I think 2008 did something in the, the 70s or 80s that had a similar kind of a tone so you know I wasn't reinventing the wheel I think it was just my version of that that people kind of do well, yeah, because you said like it's it's slightly uh, tongue in cheek, but I mean, I would I wouldn't call it a, a comedy, like oh, you know, no. at a, in any way, shape, or form. No, I'd say it's similar tone. Like we, I keep mentioning the Indiana Jones thing, but that was a big uh, template for style. I mean, it's 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 dire situations with real consequences, but there's a gag or two in there as well. You know, it's that kind of a adventure, action adventure story. Would you ever? Would you love to sell it as as a for a movie? <laughs> Yeah. Well, the, yeah. I mean, the corporate side of me is like, you know, where do I sign? Uh, <laughs> I'll take. You know, I got a mortgage and he's paying. Um, well, yeah. I mean, the honest answer is, if it was done well, and I mean, there have been inquiries, nothing concrete, like now, and nothing. We're not talking huge Hollywood, like a couple, of, like there was a Canadian studio and one from America, and a couple of Irish animation houses actually are really interested in doing it as an animated film, which would be kind of cool. Um, so, I mean, I'm totally up for that if it's the right situation. Yeah. And you don't have a because actually the cartoon idea sounds really good. Yeah, yeah, I was, I'm really into that. Like a like a young adult kind of twelve to fifteen kind of age group target thing. So I mean, it's still in the top. It's very much talking. It's not no contracts have been shown to anybody. It's just whether I was interested or not. So I'm like, well, show me your treatment of it. And I haven't got that's. That was like uh, last year at some point, so it still hasn't progressed beyond that yet. So, it, Isn't it amazing how like that is such a stumbling block for so many people sometimes when they come inquiring about stuff? It's like, yeah, show me the bare minimum of work. Yeah, it's like, yeah, what are you, what are you uh, proposing? Oh, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't think so. I mean, you want it to be cool, you know? And so, like, because you, that came out in 2013, if I remember right. Yeah, correct. And how you you said you were working that for a long time? How long was the development on that? Like from the initial idea? Okay, the initial idea would have been around two years before that, maybe. I mean, it was born of frustration. Um, like that's the truth of it. I was doing all these um, licensed comics, um, and I was enjoying a lot of them. Like I, I was on Angel for a long time, and I lo- I'm a massive Angel fan. Like I lobbied for that one, so that was great. But then there was little ones in around that I wasn't so keen on. But I did this series called uh, The Mummy. It was based on the Stephen Summers movies there. You remember Brendan Fraser was in them there about 10, 15 years ago. Now, oh, yeah. Which I was a fan of because they were very much in that, uh, you know, uh, Saturday afternoon matinee serial mode, um, which I'm obviously mad about. So I drew that series. That was a three-issue miniseries and I had a great time on it because there was only one likeness in it and that was Brendan Fraser. And he kind of looks like a cartoon anyway in real life. <laughs> like he's got that big lantern jaw and the hair and like the, you know, it's great. Like he's great fun to draw. So uh, that was very much in keeping with the style of the comics I really wanted to do, but I wasn't, I, was, I didn't fully realize that until I did it. 
And I was like, oh, this stuff, this is great. Like, this really is scratching an itch for me. And um, I figured I might try and develop something myself in that in the same line. Um, I'm trying to remember what year that was. That would have been around 2010, 2011. So that was when the real uh, genesis of the of the idea was was formed. But then it would have been 2012 before I sat down and said, okay, I'm taking this year and I'm going to draw and write this thing down. I took my, oh, it was great. The first month, it felt like a holiday. I decided I was going to take a month and just do research on World War II. Like my dad, like a lot of people's dads here has like just this library of, of war books. I don't know. What <laughs> it. But there's all this cool reference material, like uh, vehicles and uh, uniforms and ranks and everything made in like Japanese, German, American, English. So I just kind of went through all that voraciously and took all the bits. I was like, I want this. I don't want that. This is great. That's going in. This isn't going in. And I ended up with this massive list of bullet points of elements that I wanted to include. Uh, and then I had to start wrangling that into some semblance of a, a cohesive narrative that didn't just like sound absolutely batshit crazy. I mean, no, well, it, it could sound crazy. It just had to be, um, it had to have some sort of verisimilitude. It had to like feel like it could happen-ish. Yeah, well, you have, you have to set up a world where you buy this going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I got, I mean, to this day, it's still by far the thing I'm, I'm happiest with. So I guess like, that must mean, that must say something. Like, I think I did a good job, which I rarely, I don't, I, no, that's not true. I do think I do a good job, but I think I did a very good job for once on that. Okay, so you think that's the, the thing that your art is the best on? <laughs> Oh man, I've never thought about any of these things. You and your hard-hitting questions. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna make you compliment yourself if it's the last thing I do, Mooney. Um, I, I'd like a lot of the. I like a, I like the art still. I wouldn't say I think some of the stuff I'm doing now is probably more accomplished uh, from a pure technical standpoint. Okay, I like okay. the energy and the atmosphere of that art a lot. Um, it's probably my favorite art that I've done, but I don't think it's the best art. I think I've done some better stuff since that has yet to come out. I'm interested about the reference side of the work that you do because uh, I know that's something that Dak does a lot of references, and it's it's I think it's something that I think many casual readers wouldn't actually realize mm. that uh, most comic book artists do. Mm. Um, how? Because I'm fascinated by the side of okay, I understand it helps with kind of you know anatomy and things like that, but if you're drawing a character that's like visually very different to the models you have available, which is quite yeah. often yourself. Which it should be. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing it properly, your reference is informing you. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not dictating the drawing. Whereas in like likenesses for comics like A Team or Angel or whatever, they obviously do dictate the drawing. But uh, you're wondering, uh, what's your question? Sorry, I interrupted you there. Go on. No, I was just. I was <laughs> saying, like, is there? When do you have to lean on it more? Is there times where you can kind of go, okay, this page, I won't need any reference. Yeah. Um, there are, you definitely wing it some of the time. Um, I mean, there's, there's a couple of like, we all have these stock poses. Now with me, it's more women than men for whatever reason that you can kind of pull out, like you've got a con and someone asks you for a sketch, you pull out your stock. This is this lady standing with a gun or sitting at a bar or whatever. And you can fly through those reference free, but then anything that becomes a bit of a challenge, personally speaking, I don't know about deck. I tend to just take some shots. Even for women and things, I'll take some shots of myself, which is crazy as it sounds. Um, just for proportions and things, obviously they'll have different, they'll have more lithe, kind of slimmer limbs or a more slender build. But the same gesture will be there, the same um, curve of the spine. Like, I, I swear to God, if you, if you look at any artists, uh, we have, I don't know if you work on a Mac, but we have the, um, what's it called, the photo booth where you can take reference or pictures of yourself. Oh, yeah. the the, you know, the has this secret chain as well. If you go through my... Uh, my photo booths, they're all still in there from like back to before half past day and there's all these wacky poses of me uh, like being a lady at a bar or like in my underwear like leaping off a table which is meant to be a dinosaur you know kind of crazy <laughs> it's as ridiculous as it sounds uh, so yeah I mean Jesus I hope that never gets out the <laughs> if I ever die I hope I can wipes I don't care about my porn history but I hope that God she wipes my uh, my reference history <laughs> Oh uh, no! What I want to do is just take and uh, make a, a montage of the photo set to some sort of, like sad Coldplay song. <laughs> yeah. I'm nearly tempted to do that. 
Um, and so, like, when when did you learn to do referencing? Like, when was it, when was it that you were kind of like, oh, this is something that you know will help? Uh, later, um, I guess when I started doing the like the the license books uh, early on, when I was doing, I started on a book called Freak Show for the first couple of years. Um, and I did use reference, like, I mean, there's cars and I've always, ever since I was in a script, draw this model of car, I was like, okay, that means I go and I look up back in the library in the ILAC center. It was back then I used to get all my reference in Dublin where you go in and find a book that had pictures of these kind of cars. Or I remember it was a hearse and uh, they had this particular hearse in freak show and I had to find this hearse. Uh, so I think any, any professional comics I've done have had reference used in them. But when I grew up, like everyone else, I was just drawing everything out of my imagination, like trucks, a lot of dinosaurs. Um, even though I had tons of books on dinosaurs, it never occurred to me as a kid to crack one open and and draw what that dinosaur looked like. I guess you just fly off your imagination. You're much freer as a kid. Yeah. And obviously there's no consequence. When you, when you start getting paid for work and something says, this has to look like this in the script, then I think that's when I realized, okay, crap, this better look like this. Even if it's from a different angle, you can extrapolate from the reference what it should look like from the back or from the front or whatever. Once it's based on the real version. For me, that's important. I know some people uh, lean less on reference and more on their imaginations. And I really respect that. Like some people can pull an amazing car from memory that I could never hope to do without some sort of reference for it. Like I just wouldn't be able to do it. Do you think that's why sci-fi is a difficult prospect to you art-wise? Yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned going to the ILAC uh, library. Uh, how long ago has it been now since you've lived in Dublin? Uh, eight years. Eight years. Eight long years. <laughs> do you miss <laughs> it at all? Uh, yeah, sometimes I do. I swear, I miss the internet connection. We seem to be doing okay so far. I have a 1.6 meg connection here in Monaghan. That's uh, not Dub- great. No, I mean, I'd have 100 easy. Like my parents, my, my parents and both my brothers still live on the north side of Dublin, so they all have great internet connections. So I'm very jealous of that because obviously working remotely, uh, I work the state. All my work goes to the states and FTP sites and Dropbox and etc. What have you. So there are some excruciating uh, load times. That's the big one. But I mean, like in Monaghan's, like where I live now, I have such a big, ridiculous, fancy house, and we live in our own patch of land, and our neighbours are lovely, and they're all at least fifty yards away. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, my parents moved to Longford when I was sixteen, oh. so I, I had I was three years out in the country, like yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons. I, I I could see myself moving back, but I don't know if I'd regret. It's it's hard to know, you know. It's it's an interesting prospect though, because like uh, Monaghan is it's it's. It's not known for being anything if I can th- if, that I can think of. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's not like it's got like a great tourism or anything going on really. Um, what is Monaghan famous for? They're the largest producers of mushrooms in Europe. <laughs> uh, that is a weird fact to know. Yeah, it's one off the top of my head that I know. Um, it's just it's a nice it's it's a lovely spot. Like it's it's definitely the hinterland. Like there's. Get, they get tourists here, but I wouldn't say it's the driving trade by any stretch of the imagination. So um, I don't know. Gaelic football is obviously huge, like a lot of places in Ireland. Um, I don't know, which is terrible because my mother's from here and all my uncles and aunties are from here. So I should know more about the place. They have some lovely um, countryside, like it's gorgeous. But I mean, you can say that about at least two thirds of the counties in Ireland. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing though. It's like I, I found when I was living there that um, at first, when you get away from Dublin and get away from the city, that the the silence is amazing. Yeah, definitely. it's uh, it's really big. But then I think after a while, it, I noticed that, especially for you, I mu- I must assume because you work from home, mm. that the isolation would make me twitchy personally after maybe two days. I would get twitchy if I don't get to go and hang out. So, like, how often do you get to leave the house? Um, every couple of weeks I leave the house. Uh, I do, I definitely delay the postman more than I should whenever he calls to the door, which is pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> like, we talk a lot. <laughs> Martin, my postman. Um, I do I do get a bit answered. Truth be told, if it's two weeks and I haven't gone home, like to see the lads down in Dexcap or whatever in town or whatever you have you, I would start feeling a bit uh, a bit cabin fevery, but it definitely takes a couple of weeks. 
it's you know, a- I work alone as well. I, sh- I shared a studio for the first five or six years of my uh, in my career. I was about to say, I see me second guessing myself. <laughs> comics, let's say, and uh, that was great, but I definitely got less work done because I just yacked so much. I, I talked and uh, conversed and discussed everything. So when I'm on my own, I work a lot more. Okay, and so it's it's. Would you say then that um, when you work with people, because I know I when I work with other people, it, it I do yap to them as well because <laughs> in a weird way it helps me concentrate. I know that sounds stupid, but um, do you find like do you ever like oh okay I need to to switch things up a little bit? Like how do you how do you kind of if you're in a rut of just like I've just been sitting here on my own for hours doing art now, what's what's instead of you can't turn around and go, okay, I'll chat to this this mate of mine for a little while. What's your what's your way of breaking out of your routine? Um, the honest answer is I'm kind of like a robot. Uh, <laughs> never had that problem, which is probably a blessing. Working comics, I can sit and do the exact same thing all day, every day for weeks on end, and I do. Uh, I don't need an hour to get through a drawing block ever. I don't have to get up and take a walk. I just sit down. At, I start at 10 in the morning and I finish at 10 in the evening, usually with dinner and lunch in there somewhere. Um, and I think that's probably helped me an awful lot when it comes to comics because it's so intensive and there's so many hours. How's, uh, your, how's your body holding up? Because I know that can be a problem too. Uh, okay, nowadays. I had a lot of back pain weirdly, but when I was back in Bayside on the north side, it was much worse. I, don't, I think I was using the wrong kind of table. Uh, I used to sit haunched a lot and it really was playing havoc with my, my, my upper back and my shoulders. But the um, last five or so years, I haven't had that at all. Now that I've been using a proper artist table where I'm up, uh, sitting at, with the table at an angle and I'm not leaning over so much. I'm doing okay. I mean, compared to some of my peers who are in an absolute heap, I'm doing, like, we won't name any names, wink. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'm doing okay. I'm a decent nick, I'd say. But I touch wood, like I get the odd paper book, but like that's just the dangers of the job. Um, it's yeah, I know because like, it's it wrists are often the first to go and and things like that with people. And I, I've I've heard like Jamie McKelvey has been very vocal about the fact oh, that really? like he he doesn't think he can do art like interiors for much longer. Yeah, funny you say that. I, I am starting to think like how many years of this craziness have I got in the tank because I'm 38 now and things like uh, kids or like you're talking about moving house or like real life is starting to encroach a little bit like how long can a grown man sit in a room on his own without <laughs> without taking on real life you know what I mean I know that can do it forever but I'm not really built the same way as him I kind of want to have something outside of work where it's um not a distraction, but something real life in verticals. So yeah, that's playing on my mind too. Like touch wood, I'm like I say, I'm in good nick. Um, my hands are grand, my wrists are fine. Um, I mean, I get cramps the odd time after like twelve hours of drawing, but I think there's nothing that prevents that. That's just that's just the human body. I think at that point you just have to stop. But it's always gone the next morning. It's not a it's not a chronic thing at all. Okay. And I definitely feel for guys like Jamie who do have that because I would be terrified. Yeah, like what do you do? You start to dole out five hours a day instead of ten hours a day. Do you do you ease off? Just do covers? Start to write? What do you do? I, I, yeah, no, that's the thing. I, I think I've noticed more and more artists getting into writing. I think because they're finding the appeal of the the less time consuming element of it. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> well, there's that, and there's the whole. Uh, hashtag Declan Shelby, hashtag artist credit, hashtag pretentiousness kind of thing, <laughs> where we all want to be a little bit more recognized for our contributions. Um, so I think it's a happy marriage of the two, is what's leading. Plus, I, I think in my case, there's no, why not? Like, I think we're all good storytellers. Anyone who's managed to get a, a long term professional career in comic books can definitely tell a story, whether they're drawing the pictures or writing the words, because. The, the pictures are all very sequential. They all happen uh, one after another. So they have to tell a story even if there's no words there. So I think any comic artist, certainly anyone that I know, has definitely got at least one or two good stories in them. Yeah. Well, at the very least, they have to They have to understand pacing and they yeah. have to understand, yeah. you know. It's intrinsic. I mean, and after reading scripts for so long, just by sheer osmosis, a lot of that stuff does sink in. It's um, You mentioned uh, kids a moment ago. Yeah. 
Uh, I've never heard you mention them before. Wait, you got one? <laughs> I'm, 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 I have one else back. I'm selling these days, Aaron. On eBay. <laughs> Listen, this is the internet. We do not want to start rumors. Okay, yeah. I'll uh, <laughs> but uh, like, do you think that's has that has that been a desire for you? Don't know. <laughs> uh, more so of late, definitely. But to the point of actually putting my money where my mouth is, don't know. Ask my wife. <laughs> well, she's a little bit younger than you as well, isn't she? Yeah, she's. Yeah, I've got. I hate saying I've got a few years left before it's D Day, but there, that's <laughs> if you're going to boil it down to brass tacks, that's the case. So, okay, because yeah, I know. Like I, uh, I had a, a a previous relationship where I was given a kind of a deadline um, okay. to make up my mind about that sort of thing, and I couldn't. Um, but than me Jesus that's yeah I, well I'm 32 I'm not I'm not hugely younger but I'm around that age um, but it's it's a it's a thing that I do notice that it's it does creep up on you a little bit more as you get older yeah. but, but also as well as do you have any nephews or nieces only on on Jack's side there's a ton of them she has sisters and a brother and they all have multiple children whereas I'm from a family of boys and there are no children <laughs> There are three men children, myself and my two brothers, uh, but there are no, there's no progeny from that, from that generation. So I don't know if that's part of it. Like I don't see them around me. Now, Monon is where I am and that's where all the nieces and nephews on Jack's side are. So we do see kids a lot. Okay. And I like them. I mean, I'm not against them in concept. I mean, I couldn't eat a whole one. <laughs> they buy some of my work. <laughs> that's very true. Actually. They're, my, they're big supporters of mine, which is great. Uh, and it's easy to entertain them with doing a doodle or two like um but uh, i don't know the older i get the definitely the more it plays in my mind and i get and i and again i think this will be a, a, a common subject for lots of common professionals because it boils down to for me my selfishness in that i've always been able to spend all day every day doing what i want to do which is necessary to become a, a successful comic artist there's no way around that whatsoever you have to devote absolutely all your time to do it um, to do it well you can't half-ass it so if I'm spending 12 hours a day which I still am drawing and I have a, a child do I be the selfish asshole who just hands that child off from somebody else and said well like introduce me you know when he's in short pants bring him into my study when he's eight and we'll discuss who this little fellow is <laughs> or maybe um, but um, I'd have to uh, like let's be honest I'd have to cut that in half work-wise there's no way around that if yeah. there's a small Mooney running around the place so that's a huge life change you know I mean it's a, it's a massive life change to have a child but most people have like real jobs where they're home in the evening or they're off on the weekend and they can spend time with their family uh, so that would be a massive compromise and yeah because even if like you got the kid into like a daycare yeah. um, you still work in the evenings it's not like you can oh, yeah, clock yeah. off at 5 o'clock no no every evening like 6 days a week so uh, we used to be seven days a week. I have it down to six days a week, so I feel like there's a little progress there. But uh, it's yeah. a huge, like it's honest. I'm I'm being flippant about it, but it's on. It's actually a massive. Like I don't know the answer to that. Oh yeah, and and, and you mentioned kind of how you've uh, now given yourself a day off. Uh, how how stringent are you with working hours? Because you do get up, you do get up at a very regulated time. Like you get up at a good time in a day, like like a normal person. Yeah. So you must be pretty good at it. Yeah, I couldn't see. Uh, yeah, it's a slip. It's a slippery slope. I mean, once you start, once you start, and I hate to cite Deck and Jordan this, but they're like probably my closest friends in comics at the minute. So I just use them as examples. But I like it's very hard to maintain any semblance of a real normal life if you're up when everyone else is asleep and if you're asleep when everybody else is up. It's very hard to answer the door to the postman or to go into town and collect something or go and get your hair cut or whatever because you're not maintaining the same hours as the rest of civilization. So I don't ever want to be in that situation, I don't think. Um, but I mean, at the same time, it's whatever works for you. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock on I mean, Dex's probably more productive than me, if anything, so it's certainly working for him. Um, I had a brief uh, count, and I think of your traditional superhero work, yeah. there are only three titles. Grayson, uh, bombshells and uh, I've even forgotten what the third one was now Midnighter Midnighter that's right yes Midnighter which was all for DC yeah uh, are you interested in, in doing superhero work is it something that you're not super into I'm certainly 
I'm certainly not as into it as I used to be. Let's say that I um I used to be a mad. I was a big X Men kid in the '90s, like a lot of people in their '30s. Uh, and all I wanted to do when I was younger was to draw superheroes. I does one of the one I did, which is a Wolverine uh, book for Marvel, but it was a, a more of a licensing end of things than the than the normal publishing end. So you might have seen that, but it was like a sixty-four page kind of a one-shot thing, which was like the history of his life and all the characters he's interacted and stuff. So I was very, very, and Will Sliney got me that actually. Yeah, another one of my close mates in comics. Um, just on a tangent, Will is also another person who's the opposite. He's even more regimented than I would be. He does incredibly regular hours, and I think he has, manages to get his evenings and his weekends to himself. So he's on the other side of the spectrum. Nice. Sure, you should talk to him at some point if you wanted to get a different viewpoint. But um, anyway, back to the Wolverine thing. I was very excited to get that because I was a huge X-Men Wolverine kid. And then when I worked on it, I did enjoy it, but I was a little bit surprised by how it wasn't the be-all and end-all that I thought it would be. I, like, that was the first proper superhero thing that I did for the big companies. And, and Wolverine is a big character. Yeah, yeah, and it had, like, the X-Men in it, it had Magneto in it, it had Omega Red in it, it had all those, like, Jubilee, everybody, they were all in there. So I got to draw some really cool stuff. Um, but yeah, I, while I enjoyed it, it certainly didn't change my life the way if you had told a 17-year-old me that it would. So, um but it's, the problem was at that point I was working on half past danger. So that's what was exciting me. Uh, and I think the more I go forward, um, like I love DC and I'll certainly touch wood, be, do more stuff for them down as, as time goes by. But I mean, the thing that really gets me going is the stuff that I'm creating and working on myself. And I think that will only continue like that. I think that's completely understandable though. Yeah, I think so. The, it's, it's the X-Men, I would love to see your jubilee for a start, by the way. <laughs> Let me just say, though, on that note, I have to say Grayson and Midnighter and Bombshells would probably, uh, I always laugh because they probably would have been the three that I would have picked because Nightwing was my favorite character in comics when I was younger. So um, that was amazing to get on to do that. And then uh, he, my Midnighter arc was just was a team, was a buddy story with Grayson. That's why it was, I was assigned it. So uh, I kind of count those as more Grayson books. Um, and Midnighter's a cool, sardonic, uh, kick-ass kind of character. He wouldn't really be very super heroic. So I've never really drawn a like a really uh, down-the-line, straight superhero like spandex and capes book ever, where they're just punching lumps out of each other. Is that, is that how you see them? Is just like let's let's beat each other up? Uh, more so as I get older, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do see it as a bit juvenile which is very judgmental of me because some of them are really sophisticated now and written like they're there's excellent quality in superhero comics i just think i'm a bit too old now now that's not to rule out if marvel want to throw x-men at me like i will certainly take that call it's uh it's interesting though because you i'm assuming then from what you were saying about your love of grayson and stuff is that like you were much more of a dc kid Besides X-Men, yeah, it was all Batman and Green Lantern. Um, I was never, I never bought the line. I never bought all the books from either company, though. I was never that guy. Right. All the Batman stuff and all the X-Men stuff. But then it was like um, kind of indies, like uh, Xenozoic Tales, like the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs stuff, or um, Madman Mad when it was Mike Allred's thing, like Dark Horse kind of stuff. I always kind of uh, peppered it with a little more, um, which is probably what made me realize there was more to it than superheroes. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You have a lot of books there with a decent element of humor in them too. Mm. Oh yeah, I love me a gag. Like, I mean, I think any good story, even if it's a straight down the line serious story, if it doesn't have a an element of humor, I think you're sunk because real life has humor. I mean, I don't talk out of school, and Warner Brothers employ me a lot of the time, but I think one of the big problems that say Batman versus Superman had is that there's no levity in there to break up the storyline. It's all super serious all the time. And I think without those little uh, slices of real life, the breathing space that a laugh provides in there, I think it hurts your storytelling. So yeah, I'm definitely of the mind that you've got to have gags in there. Do you think this like movie uh, renaissance for comic books is, uh, I don't even know if renaissance is the right word because it's, it's uh, but anyway. Um, it's a behemoth now. It used to be renaissance, but now it's, it's mainstream films. Like they're all... Yeah. Do you yeah. think that impacts comics? Very hard to say. I think it brings some people some people into a comic shop who the TV shows and the movies might bring some younger people in who like Arrow or who like Deadpool and the movies might bring a few in. I don't know if it's a seismic shift though. I don't know if that sells thousands more units. 
it's very hard. So, I mean, the lads at the Big Bang would be great to interview and talk to them about that kind of thing. They really know their stuff when it comes to that. Um, I don't know. I've thought about it, but I don't know what the real Because yeah. it, it, I find it, like, even uh, storytelling-wise, um, I, I often find that people are writing characters uh, slightly differently off the back of uh, oh. how they're represented. I think there are a lot of frustrated screenwriters in comics. There's no two ways about that. There's a lot of people who are, they see it as their audition for the movie or something that could be sold as a movie or their first step into the world of movies. I think that's natural to an extent. That, because now comics are seen predominantly as a feeder, as a, as a way to end up with a movie. Yeah, especially corporately as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is, but I mean, that's inevitable. I don't, that's... That's that's just uh, capitalism. I don't see how anyone could ever change that. Well, I mean, one thing will change it if the movies stop doing as well, I guess. But uh, it does, that doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. No, you wonder will fatigue set in a little bit. Um, hasn't happened so far, but I do wonder will that happen. Yeah, I mean, every every second major release now is a comic book film. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think it's funny because as a kid, I, I would have been so excited to know that all these characters were oh, in movies yeah. and releases. But in a way, I am kind of almost becoming concerned about it than anything else. Yeah, I think we're also jaded. I think, I know myself, I've started taking it for granted, which is very dangerous. I mean, I remember my, my favorite comic book movie is still the original uh, 1970s Richard Donner Superman film. Just because I'm a fan of that character, and I think that's by far the best version of that character, and it's very light and full of hope, and it's it's like an action adventure story, which is more up my alley than the newer stuff. But I mean, I remember when Blade came out then, and kind of started the newer, um, the newer wave of those kind of films, and it was excellent. Blade is a great film. I still love Blade. Um, but I have got a little desensitized now, and I'm assuming there'll be another Marvel Slate three, 18 films in 2018, that kind of thing. You're, yeah. you're like, I just reel those off. Uh, I would miss them if they were gone. I think, but who knows how long that's going to be before that happens? Yeah, I think the I think the shift towards Netflix is is almost been a better thing because I think televised comic books is a better representation of comic books. Well, in that they're serialized storytelling. Yes, that's one hundred percent true. It's more it's more similar to the base model, definitely. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's so there's. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, we have to remember when we say comic book movies, most people mean superhero movies. They don't mean comic book movies. Like it's still like out there that yeah, Ghost World or Road to Perdition or whatever else is a comic book movie, but nobody, like History of Violence, nobody considers those comic book movies. People are talking about superhero movies when they say comic book movies. Oh yeah, com- completely. And I think, uh, and I, th- I, it's, it's almost the, the wave of the superhero versions is almost hurting the likelihood of the, the more uh, realistic stories that are being told in comic books being picked mm-hmm. up, I think, to a certain extent. Oh yeah, it can't hurt. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting because because I think there's a shift in in how the because of image is rise and how there's so many different types of stories being told in comics now than there I think yeah. ever has been. Um, I think that I wonder if that will impact the movies that get made off the back of it too. Is that if will there be a shift from the superhero like you know act, yeah. like the, the deluge? I think it's inevitable. I do think it's inevitable because that's the one trend, the one prevailing trend in comics right now is more an image are definitely the instigators uh, and the champions of that trend. That more people, even traditionally superhero readers, are picking up uh, more divergent. Uh, titles and trying out new things I mean in my opinion Image is the place to be right now like they're just they're kicking so much ass so um, I think that will happen people like I think there's inevitably going to be a saga movie I mean Walking Dead is huge on TV already Uh, like those things are going to happen in movies I think yeah, I was still. I'm, I've always been frustrated that the 100 bullets uh, pickup never uh, materialized. Yeah, one of my favorite. I mean, and that you'd want that. Like you'd almost turn down a movie that that's got to be a TV show. Like oh that. yeah, definitely. It's so it's uh, it's a case by case basis. Yeah, but I love. I mean, that's a big one with Preacher. That's like 100 bullets and Preacher are pretty my two favorite Vertigo books. So to be seen, apparently by all accounts, Preacher, they've done a good job so far. I haven't seen them myself. They haven't been available over here yet, but um, I'm really looking forward to seeing. Them. Yeah, which is a weird, this is a weird thing because I don't think anybody in that show is actually cast as the nationality that they're from. Oh yeah, <laughs> inevitable. Though. I mean, completely inevitable. 
Um, all right. Well, uh, we're, I guess it's around time to wrap up. I can let you go back to work and be your <laughs> robot again. Yeah. Um, but I always ask everybody what song they would like to play out on. Oh, it's got to be You're the Voice by John Farnham. <laughs> that is... Same song, but I play at my funeral one day. That is an amazing choice. It's my favorite song. Uh, all right. It's a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that will be slowly playing in the background now, filtering in. But uh, thank you, Stephen, for taking the time to chat to me today. Oh, man, thanks for having me. It was fun. We had-